Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Bob Wall, CEO of Commandeer, a product aimed at increasing developer productivity by centralizing the developer experience and tools into a single desktop application. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. No, it's uh, it's really exciting to have new products popping up in the serverless space. And so really excited to have you on. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to talk about it and kind of share the story. Cool. Well, to kick things off, what's new in your world? How has 2021 been? And uh, how is the Commandeer team doing so far? Yeah, 2021 has been interesting. So we just, uh, we actually moved from Los Angeles to South Carolina in September of last year. But we just we just uh, moved into a house that we purchased down here like six weeks ago, maybe even less. So we've been doing that. Yeah. And I have two young ones. So um, we're kind of just getting into the, the summertime, uh, which is nice. So 2021 is going pretty good. I mean, it's definitely been a long like <laughs> 2020. So I think, you know, kind of things are feeling pretty back to normal here. And hopefully that continues. Yeah, no, no, totally know what you mean. I think everyone does. Uh, 2020 was very long. 2021 seems like it's flying by, right? I think we're already we're already rounding out April now. So, well, you know, just jump straight into Commandeer. It feels relatively new. It was when, when you reached out, it was one of the first times that I actually had a chance to look at the product a little bit. So for those who don't know, can you give a brief introduction about what is Commandeer? What does it solve? Yeah. Um, so just a little background about myself and about how like Commandeer came about. So I've been doing serverless technology specifically for like four or five years now. And so I believe it was two, yeah, two really large scale products built before Commandeer. And the concept of like of serverless technology is really fascinating because if you kind of go full bore on it, it's um, it's really amazing because you're you know doing everything event driven programming and that's kind of the name of the game. And um, we're continuing to build things. And what would happen, or what I notice happening a lot, is we would whiteboard an idea and it would be like, okay, sure, we'll have this cron process run and throw some items onto the queue, and then the queue will have a Lambda that processes it. And taking that to the actual fruition was, and still is, just a very long process, and it requires um, pretty highly skilled developers to execute on it because time and time again, you're kind of just visualizing the system working in your own mind, which is really where Commandeer came to fruition. So it's heavily focused around AWS right now. But the concept of seeing your system and then being able to actually look at things in your system. So the first is like visualizing it. So there's like system diagrams of say S3 connecting to a Lambda, connecting to CloudWatch logs, connecting to alarms, just kind of being able to see it at a, a zoomed out picture, but of your actual system, not like a schematic that you drew and then gets out of date because you actually connect to your system in Commandeer. So you're you're looking at it from there, but then also when we're doing things like all serverless development that now I do is you save data to DynamoDB and then you have streams on the back end 
with lambdas that do something with that data. So maybe send out an email to somebody or save it to an S3 data lake or things like that. Um, and the problem was that like on Dynamo, you had to either use AWS console website or lo if you're running it like via local stack, you had to connect with some like small open source tool that, you know, was kind of built in the weekend and then not supported anymore. And the premise of Commandeer is really to unify that. So you can see your Dynamo data, your S3 data, your Athena data, um, and on and on, all from like one central location. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, working in the space and having to do exactly what you're saying, like, there's a level of like visualization that you make in your mind of like, the queue connects to a Lambda that connects to a DynamoDB that connects to a stream. And it's like having people come in and then learn all of that is like, or even explain it in like training sessions can be pretty, pretty difficult. So yep. yeah, no, that, that's, that's really awesome. So I guess like maybe that was the core to like founding Commandeer. I think you kind of talked about, was there any other outside influences that to led to founding uh, Commandeer? I mean, the concept I've, I've talked about before that, I mean, I think two examples that are really good are Visual Studio. So the original, not like Visual Studio Code and Xcode being really these push button IDEs that while it's one of those things that like the the reasons behind like Node becoming so amazing and everything is because they were kind of abstracted away from the IDE where, you know, like for me, the aha moment in Node was like, you just like in three lines of code from the command line, I'm running a server that used to be like Apache or MAMP or all this other stuff or IIS. But the, the whole basis of Visual Studio and Xcode is that you write your code and then you press a play button and then it happens, right? And I think that that's one thing that is just missing in the cloud right now, that there's all these amazing managed services now on AWS and not just AWS, but also like SendGrid and Twilio and Auth0 and a bunch of others, but you have to manage them all in their own web portal and things like that, which is good for like, or will work for a production environment, but for like development, having it kind of centralized is where it helps a lot. So, I mean, I, I think that those IDEs were kind of like instrumental in it. And even Visual Studio Code now, I mean, because what, what Commandeer does is like you have the tree view on the side, but then you get to see a detail. Whereas we thought about building plugins for Visual Studio Code and for IntelliJ and things like that. But the, the part that gets lost in those a lot of the times is that everything just happens over in the side nav and there's no like real dynamo viewer or S3 editor and things like that built into those IDEs. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that those are kind of uh, some inspiring tools. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool to think about kind of the abstraction away and hearing the, you know, three commands for Node.js and then, viewing that from like how it took to like set up a server with Apache and then seeing how simplified it is and then trying to replicate that experience in a cloud serverless, you know, aspect. And one thing that was interesting about that, you mentioned Twilio, you mentioned Auth0. There is like, you know, we think about like cloud computing, we think about cloud platforms. A lot of times we stay pretty centrally talking about AWS, but of course Twilio, Auth0, those are also, you know, 
serverless, right? And fully managed and we're able to hook those in. So I guess with something like Commandeer, what do you see the future becoming? Is it just integrations like this and the, you know, cloud developers are just plugging in the wires or how, how do you see that, that playing out? Yeah, so so the the initial incantation of this has been worked on now for two years was to get it to a pretty like robust state in terms of the AWS ecosystem. But the way I see it going forward is that there will be a plugin system. So like the depending on so I, I'm very uh, I have like tons of different thoughts on open source versus closed source and things like that. But I'll, I'll stay away from that for that for just explaining this. But like the concept is like, okay, so somebody wants to build a really great Redis UI that you can manage Redis locally and in the cloud, you could build a plugin for Commandeer, plug it in, it becomes accepted into the community and then and becomes a usable service. So I, I think that the the concept is that if you have a managed service out there that you would love to be able to run locally and in, like locally via Docker and or in the cloud that like Commandeer can provide that kind of the rails for it. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I think the plugin system is something that we've seen play out with like serverless framework, for instance, and, you know, people opening that up. And then it's kind of nice because then, you know, uh, companies like Azure, the Azure serverless team might make an integration for the serverless framework and that connection. It's not completely reliant on the serverless framework team doing it themselves, mm-hmm. uh, which can be which can be nice. Obviously, closed system, maybe it doesn't have, a, you know, the closest integration on some of those things because of that. But yeah, so I, I just like uh, moving moving on through. When thinking about like the commandeer team and, and how y'all are kind of building all this stuff out, are y'all centrally located or are y'all kind of dispersed across the US or the globe? Or what does that look like? We're, I mean, so we're like basically um, in the US, but then some overseas support. So the core of it was myself and another co-founder who basically for like two years, we kind of built most of it within a little bit of support, but he's, so he's kind of in the world of serverless guru where he's had a consulting firm and still has a consulting firm. And one of the things of building a product is that it's uh, all consuming. And so there's kind of that sliding scale of what your passions are on these things. So really like what Alex now is doing is he's focused on his company and is still on as an advisor. And I've taken the reins of Commandeer. And we're kind of figuring out the best strategy in terms of how we're we're building out the team forward because it's a super small group and um, we've done it mostly on bootstrapped ways. <laughs> so so uh, contract work and equity um, kind of deal, right? And and that's where so I, my my kind of vision of commandeer is that over the i mean because this is building a product too so people that are early adopters now um it's great and i think it does give tons of different insights that you just can't see anywhere else but in my vision of it it's still another 18 months out of features and things like that to really get it solidified and i think then what happens is at that point there becomes this open plug-in type of of system. But yeah, so we're, we're all over. I mean, we have, he has devs in Latin America and Russia and, um, and starting up in the Ukraine and then um, 
we have other devs in India. Um, and so it's cool because a lot of, uh, a lot of this stuff kind of overlaps as I imagine you see in terms of, you know, the podcast versus the consulting of serverless with serverless guru and, um, and beyond that it like all kind of intertwines. So that, that's kind of the, the team. It's very small now. <laughs> it's crazy how fast stuff scales out. I think last year serverless guru was at maybe like we had two consultants or something. And then now we're up to like 15 plus uh, oh, wow. consultants. It's just been crazy. Cause like, you know, we got into the door, a couple clients and then we did good work and then slowly, built up like trust and all that stuff and then scaled those clients out and then use those as references. And it all just kind of snow started snowballing, but it took a, about like a year and a half to two years to get to the point where it would start snowballing. So that, that's cool to hear that uh, kind of roadmap there. And yeah, also a comment that you made, which I, I was on mute, but I was laughing to it is the uh, product is like all consuming. And uh, when you have something like consulting services, like we've had product ideas in the past and it's like, figuring out you know you have a client messaging you and you're like no i've got to work on the side thing and it's like it's hard to balance that yeah um so totally totally understand on that end so yeah so like you mentioned early adopters some people have already started using commandeer what have you kind of gotten like insight from them and are they more on the early stage startup side are they more established and what does that look like so the really interesting part of just like the demographic is that it's it's over like 160 or 70 countries that um, have gone to the website and it's somewhere over a hundred, maybe 120 countries that have used the app at this point. It, so it, it's just this like amazing worldwide problem that people are seeking out an answer to. And then it's ranging from, you know, billion dollar or fortune like 10 companies to one CTO with a co-founder or whatever teams. So it's, it's a full range and there's like hundreds of different companies in each of those buckets. So it's such a acute problem that people are are seeing. And over the past two years, I mean, I think that the serverless wave like you guys were obviously on it very early and so was I. And so it's not even hitting where we're just going to see more and more companies investing in it because the promise of serverless to me, at least in terms of non-greenfield projects, is that you can add new pieces of functionality and it doesn't mess with your big monolith crazy system. And <laughs> that 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 once you like commit to that and say, okay, we'll never kind of know our system in terms of it being one thing, like a monolith again, but now we have all these different like serverless routes that are happening. You, you just start to see it more and more with big companies. So we have like there, there's, yeah, we're seeing interesting numbers of like tons of people for one particular company signing up for it individually, which uh, is a good sign. That's great to hear that it's like, already kind of spread out globally. And it makes sense that it's like a worldwide problem. It's like new, new stuff. It's like forefronts. It's like, we're already a couple of years in now into like, you know, serverless starting to hit more like scale numbers, but it's still probably even now a very small piece of the market uh, total and all the integrations, the type of platforms, tools, all that stuff's not uh, matured enough. So it, it totally makes sense that that would span like borders and all that stuff. 
And yeah, then I had something that uh, kind of popped up while you were talking there was one of them was what has been one of the biggest benefits that you've seen clients have by kind of centralizing uh, their system using Commandeer? Like, do they get extra like developer velocity out of it? Do they, are they able to track things down easier and understand all the different things? Like we've had, we've heard stories of, you know, they've got 250 microservices. They've got thousands of Lambda functions going like, how do you think Commandeer helps in those, in those spots? So that one interesting one was that a company reached out and was like, we have a thousand lambdas. I can't see anything in your product. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. And like, and, and we had to basically like under the hood, it's an AWS SDK that uh, we're using. So we had to like do the looping through the token and all this stuff and kind of figure out ways to, to do that in a, a like a, a highly cached way, so we're definitely like new case or or people using Dynamo DB Reader and then us doing a demo with or them like showing us the issue where they have like rows of data and they're like this big, so they're like I'm looking at ten rows, but it, I have to scroll through you know like a hundred pages of of the web or the browser or the app, so. We're definitely, as we're putting things out there and people are using them, we're seeing like productivity gains or, or adjustments to the system to work better. So one of them that's interesting is that GovCloud, people working on GovCloud, you can mimic that in local stack, but you can't get keys as a developer to GovCloud. So when you're building stuff, you're flying pretty blind in terms of you're writing it and then throwing it over a mountain and all of a sudden it shows up in GovCloud. And so what Commandeer in that instance is enabled is people are running their their Lambda invokes in Commandeer and testing it locally against local stack and feeling pretty confident that it's going to work the same way. There's obviously, is it's just a... Um, Developing in the cloud in general is pretty like throw it over the mountain, but then like on the Gov, Gov cloud stuff, it's even more. So we're seeing like different use cases across the board. We have a really good way to do end to end management of SQS. So we're seeing that workflow pretty nicely too, where you can actually throw messages in the queue, view them, see the invocation logs of the Lambda and kind of complete the cycle rather than just testing the Lambda that consumes the queue, being able to take it one step up and like drop a message into the queue and see the invocation. Because there is a slight difference there in terms of invoking it, you know, directly versus it being invoked by the other service, including permissions and stuff like that, um, which can be problematic. Yeah, this this government, the GovCloud use case is really interesting because we've seen this with some of the enterprise clients that we work with even where the, you know, like in an isolated greenfield application, it's an early stage startup, you know, it's like you want access to production, you've got it, right? You want access to dev, you've got it. You want access to QA, no problem. Like, yep. and then you get into these bigger organizations that are enterprise or like GovCloud and it's almost like sometimes even if it's not GovCloud, you still have to throw it over the wall to a large degree or throw it over the mountain. And it's like, we've seen developer like productivity drop pretty significantly in those cases because we have to roll through a CACD pipeline, even for minor tweaks. And so we end up trying to tweak it a little bit in the console 
just because we can't test our code properly, like locally to the degree that we would normally do. Like if it was, if we had access to all that. And then of course we can create like local tools and all that stuff uh, locally using like something like local stack ourselves. But in a lot of cases, we end up just finding like, you know, that kind of like hard edge case where it's like, we want to be productive and we want to make sure the developers on our team and we can give something to clients where they're able to just be efficient, even with those restrictions on them. So I think that that's like, that's, that's a really interesting use case that you just brought up because it's a hard problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> thanks for all the deep dive on commandeer stuff there. It's really interesting to hear how it's all panning out. And I think I have some serverless questions as well. Like if you dialed back to when you first got involved in serverless, could you talk a bit about how you learned about it, how you got involved and then what kind of, what that story turned into? Yeah. So basically, I don't know, this was five years ago or something. I came on and co-founded a laundry service, Washio, and we built, it was basically Uber for laundry. And we raised a bunch of money and we launched in a bunch of cities. And the tech team ended up getting acquired by Alliance Laundry, which built Speed Queen. So I had a, I don't know, two months lag between... The startup ending, which if you've done startups, like you're still in PTSD for, I don't know, two years after (laughs) startup ending. So, but I, and so everything was moving at that point to microservices where that was kind of the talk of it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do microservices. I had it all plotted out and we started building it. And what happened was we were doing all separate repos for each microservice. And it quickly became like managing eight products. And if you had to do one change in one, you at some point you just like can't make that change in every other repo. And what and we we met with AWS and they're talking about API Gateway and Lambda and things like that. And kind of like uh, two months into the project, I just hung out at the office all weekend and and replicated everything with mock data with API gateway talking to a lambda and that product actually like it went too far and became function as a service so so I we like kind of iterated on that a few times but that was the first foray into okay we have API gateway and we can talk to a user microservice and that lambda then does its work, but now we have no servers. And then from there, it just became kind of addicting to be like, okay, well, what else do we not want to have as like, like at this point now, I don't really build stuff with Postgres databases. I do everything Dynamo with a Dynamo stream coming off of it. And then that stream saves it to an S3 data lake and you stand up Athena against that data lake and query in Athena. So that pipeline, though, like we actually had to write the serverless plugin to allow for connecting a DynamoDB stream to a, an existing Dynamo table because serverless framework lets you create a Dynamo table, but it has to be in charge of it. So it destroys and then creates it. And if you make it in Terraform or Ansible, then, well, two things. So if you make it an Ansible, you can't deploy it to local stack. If you make it to Terraform, Terraform is very aggressive in terms of it could just delete a table and all of a sudden you lost your table. Whereas Ansible, just like that concept doesn't exist. They don't destroy things because they don't control state. 
but yeah, so we like to build the like the bread and butter discussion at AWS is like Dynamo to Dynamo DB stream to doing some work with your data. But there was zero ways in IAC to do that until we wrote the plugin, just open sourced. I mean, it's just on the NPM. But um, so yeah, so it, it's just kind of evolutioned where now it's almost like when I, cause I'll do kind of um, higher level consulting at this point to companies to, you know, to get them situated with this stuff. And now the, the playbook is getting a lot better than when it was two years ago. And we hadn't built like commandeer because having built it, certain things had to be added in, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. There was the part I think I brought up a couple of times now is the DynamoDB streams aspect. So that's really cool. They all built a plugin as well for the serverless framework to try to like, get around the, the gap there for existing tables. Yeah. And specifically, DynamoDB streams, you mentioned, I think, that you stopped building with Postgres. Now you flow through DynamoDB streams and then do something on the back end of that. What was the reason behind that? What, what are the benefits of potentially using that type of architecture? So the, the benefits of DynamoDB is that it's NoSQL. So your, your front-end team can make changes and theoretically mess up the back back end team, but in a good way where like, if you want to add a new column, it just starts appearing there, right? Because it's just standard JSON blobs and it's, it's, well, it's typed JSON, which is kind of cool, but it scales infinitely, right? So your data now can be saved and the only thing you pay for is IO, so reading and writing. And then indexes on it and things like that. So the that side of it, the benefit is that you're in a NoSQL world, so you can move fast. You're not writing migration files and things like that. Now, the downside of that, and like, and so at Washio, we built it on Parse, and uh, Parse was like an amazing tool, but it was a NoSQL managed service. Um, but then once you raise a few million dollars, all of a sudden everybody at the board meeting wants summaries and charts and things like that. And now you need to be in a SQL world. So the the way to do that is like you either migrate that data or you do MapReduce and things like that. And the benefit of the DynamoDB stream is that you're laying out your data into a it, it, so the, the big concept of an S3 data lake is that your data will never move again, right? So 20 years ago, data warehouses were amazing. You would like get all your data and stuff it in there. And now even like Redshift, a lot of people will use it, but it's really expensive. But you want all your data and, and it's in now another service. So the concept here is that you're just storing flat JSON files or Parquet files, and now it's at rest and never gets changed again. And then Athena sits on top of it, and Athena is 100% serverless. So you pay for S3 storage, but then again, you're only paying when you access that data, and you're paying S3 prices. So you need to organize it correctly into partitions where you have, like, let's say, machine data, and then under that, a partition date equals date and or company ID equals blah, blah, blah. And those are like pseudo folder structure inside of S3. And then all the files are stored there. And 
And now you can query things in Athena and you never have to worry about your RDS instance being up. You never have to worry about the logs running out. You never have to worry. It just like it's another serverless. It's full serverless. So not only is the data stored serverless or, I mean, you call Dynamo, I guess it's managed, but really it's serverless because it's infinite. <laughs> In terms of, I mean, I don't, they can't, like, they can just go forever in terms of how much data you can put in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of those things. So I guess, like, when you think about building new applications, I'm assuming this is the way that you go always now is have DynamoDB streams, pushing it into an S3 data lake. And it's the idea there is, like, potentially with the S3 data lake and then pushing the data in there, you just, like, kind of filling that up with, like, event data, even if you don't know necessarily what you'll use in the future. Are you kind of... So, yes. yeah, so... I, I really love that you're thinking through all these aspects of like you've you've been you've obviously been through so much that like you're thinking about these things when you're first building an application, which is amazing. Yeah, we've had this happen where it's like we built applications and then we had those meetings and they're like, hey, what are the how many people have come? What have they clicked on? What has been the data here? And I'm like, oh, well, we didn't necessarily track that up front. So that's uh that's awesome. Yeah. So what do you think about like Alex DeBry wrote a book about DynamoDB? I'm not sure if you saw that and talks a lot about single table design. Do you play around with single tables or do you create multiple tables? And what is your perspective on that? Uh, yeah, so that's a really good one. So I personally create multiple tables. So if you have, let's say, a user and then they have an account, right? You'd have a user and an account table. And the account table might have a type column and that will just be a string all capitals like an enum right so the reason behind it is that i've so i've before dynamo i did a lot of mongo and then firebase and especially so firebase with washio we would have the drivers had an app and the customer had an app and we had a like a um, command center that would have a, a website and all of them were like real time. So you could all, anybody could chat with each other and like all this crazy stuff that was happening with pub sub and you have to architect your um, Mongo correctly or you're screwed. So like you have to, you have like a user's collection and then under that each user. And then in the chat section, you have a pointer of user ID and, but you do, you don't put that whole user object in there because if you, incorrectly make no sequel it can be the worst thing so so same with dynamo if you make that single table layout you're going to have a lot of issues in map reducing um, because you're going to have this really big collection of stuff you could just yeah i mean so that's where and you also can't visualize it so if you go into commandeer now and look at dynamo we do foreign key inferences so this is where I always post into like dev channels on Reddit and things like that. And this was a one where it was interesting because I'm like, we're using, and it became inferred foreign keys because I'm like, we have foreign keys now in DynamoDB. And people are like, you're an idiot. Like that you can't have foreign keys. And my premise was that if you're looking at, let's say you're the account record and there's a user ID column in there, then I, as the like the computer system, have a pretty good idea that that means user.id, right? So in Commandeer, when you're looking at that account record, you can on the right side see your user record. 
And so, yes, you like the beauty of Dynamo is that it's no SQL, so you can mess with your model. But later on, when you're trying to just look at data, like it's kind of nice to not have to now go to another tab and go to a user table and do a search by ID for that user after you copy it. Like these inferred things start happening. So, and then there's a, we have like an ER diagram tool in there. So same thing, it shows you the ER diagram of your Dynamo system, which I find really helpful that I, like I've embraced the fact that NoSQL exists, <laughs> but I'm doing like kind of a hybrid with it because of the fact that if you just have one table, you're just, you're messing it up for your dev team later on. Like you're, it's going to be, it's going to be a painful way to like, to kind of manage like changes. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic because it's kind of this like, uh, it's like when you have everything in a vacuum or you're like an early stage startup and like how you view maybe that application when you're when you're not thinking about all those things, like later on, like a big team scaling out, all that stuff. And then when you start on something and you're thinking about those things, you know, it's like not, not every solution is the right fit based on where you are in that process. Um, and the, the idea of single table design potentially having benefits over just like the closeness of data or, uh, you know, it's complex. I've gone through very, I've gone through Excel spreadsheets trying to map out data <laughs> in single table. And, you know, you can eventually make it look like, okay, I think I, I think I've got something to start on. But yeah, like the idea of making changes or then handing that off to somebody else on my team being like, all right, <laughs> there's like, could be 15 tables or 10 tables or five tables, but We've got one table and it's just all this huge flood of data. And because the because the tooling's not there, I would say like if someone was trying to look at that in like the DynamoDB UI or something like that and see it would just be this flood of just tons and tons of data. Um, and then yeah, you, you can't the use the UI at that point. Yeah, you can't really use the UI. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it is a really interesting, that problem where when you're building it initially, the whole product fits in your brain. But then when you have like a hundred developers, it's like now it's, that's a major problem. Um, and the other thing, so we do in Commandeer, when you're looking like, let's say you have 20 Dynamo tables, you can see the columns of each one. And that's the same thing where what I'm doing is I'm just selecting the top record for each Dynamo table and then showing it to you. So it's not actually accurate. Like if you went through, if you had a million records in that table and later on you started adding more columns, it won't give you the true representation of your data, but it at least gives you something. So if you have a user table and it always has ID, first name, last name, email, you know, phone number, blah, blah, blah. In Commandeer, in the tree view and in the thing, it shows you each of those columns and it tells you if it's a primary index or a global secondary index or just a column and what the data type is. So even like if you make a table and you always stick to the model for the most part, at least now you know what those 20 columns are because otherwise like you only know that through code or through an API request in Postman and you assume the data wasn't like morphed. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. Um, there's also one that you, you brought up, which is foreign key inference, which I think, I think the other topic kind of like skimmed over it, but that is so cool that like you're, you're seeing that it's user ID and then 
it's inferring that like there's a user table and it's user.id and then showing that. And it's such a, yeah, it's such a good experience for a developer to have something like that where you're not having to like flip through tabs and like it's, it's logically putting it together to make it easier for humans to digest and understand. And that's, that's amazing. Um, and I think, I think based on our conversation so far, I can see that that's been a, there are a lot, a lot of thought around the developer experience has already been put into commandeer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's exciting to see like how that, how that keeps developing. And then, uh, I think we're coming up on time. So I guess like one of the questions I always like to ask guests is, uh, how do you view the current serverless market and what does the next five years look like? Yeah. So I, I view it as, I think that everything the all the dust has settled in the past couple of years and serverless and container systems are the future of or the present and future i guess the future of of system development right so big companies are going to always still have their on-prem systems and you know warehouses and data warehouses and stuff but more and more newer companies and are going just directly into the cloud and i think that there's really the container world is one really great use case is like you have a huge monolith app you can throw it into a container and expose your api from it right and it exists now in the cloud and so i think that I mean, because if you look at, if you go to a restaurant, right, like the the computer systems there look 50 years old. <laughs> so there's not, there's not going to be like a mass replace of every system, but you're going to run it into a container. But serverless is this whole other paradigm where you're like, okay, you can either greenfield, just make it serverless. And now you're in a world where your costs are completely dependent on usage, not on system, on the system. Or you can just add on serverless to existing systems and start making product really fast or a lot faster than or make new projects that don't like really exist inside the the monolith world of your existing system. And can so I, I think that they're both going to grow considerably. And I and I, I also think that they just go so hand in hand. So like we built a Docker UI into Commandeer and we didn't plan on doing it, but because we have runners for serverless framework and Ansible and Docker Compose and all these things, we had to under the hood use Docker to stand up those services so that they could run on Mac, Windows, and Linux. So then we had to build a UI to like actually see our Docker system and but yeah so but like we're trying not to go too deep into the container world but it's hard not to like the ECS and EKS and all that because i think but i think that there's lots of like G- GKE now the Google Kubernetes engine where they're managing it 100% for you and i think that that's the future of container stuff that the crazy like Kubernetes is amazing, but it's also this complex world that I think what they're now doing is that's getting commoditized and will just be, you know, kind of the same way as serverless where you want a Lambda, you don't care how it exists. It just exists. So I think the serverless world is just going to grow. I don't know, a hundred X in the next five years, thousand X. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, really cool. There was one part that you mentioned there, which uh, was add-on to existing systems. And I think that's important for 
yeah, for people that are listening that may not have jumped into serverless yet, you can have an existing monolithic system that's running on virtual machines or on-premises and then create new products and then stitch it back together pretty easily uh, with serverless um, and allow your developers to, you know, work outside of the box a little bit, maybe even have like different protocol and rules than the, the monolithic system and really move fast and get the benefit of it today and then slowly, you know, piece by piece, you know, maybe stranglehold pattern, move stuff over and uh, all that's totally possible. And so, yeah, no, I really appreciate the kind of encouragement there. 100x, 1000x, that sounds really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> sounds great. Sign me up. So, yeah, so coming to close, um, do you have anything that you want to shout out or promote? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just shout out Commandeer. I mean, that's what that's where my my uh, mindset is completely. You know, the tool is is definitely in a very stable and um, and just useful like addition to the the serverless world where I think it takes it takes people like realizing what the use case is for themselves and then also just like learning that okay like I built that like commandeer so that I never on any project I'm ever on have to look at s3 and dynamo outside of this tool right and and so that there's all these like different things of like when i mean when you're just normally working right you're like oh i need an email i'm going to go to gmail i think that those use cases just keep on growing where it's like i can go to commandeer to do this thing so yeah that's that's what i'm plugging and i'm i'm also like most of the, or not all the demos I do, some demos are just like, hey, how does this work? But a lot of times I'm ending up debugging their serverless.yaml file and and getting it to deploy the local stack or to, you know, work. And so I'm, I'm seeing that and that I'm like, it's fun being available in this capacity where I'm not strictly focused on the consulting side of it. I'm more like providing a serve or a tool to help things. But the service side of it is like where I've always been comfortable. So it's it's nice to like I don't mind like free <laughs> like tutorial or like helping to get it because I think that that's the biggest thing that people are hung up with now on serverless is just like getting that first thing running, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Wow. Um, so I think that's it. I think that like, let's send it there. Uh, okay, cool. It's been amazing having you on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks again for, for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat soon. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. To those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless Podcast with Ryan Jones. If you liked our show and you want to learn more, check us out on talkingserverless.io. And please, of course, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts if you found this content valuable. And I'll see you next time with I sit down with another fantastic serverless guest. Mm-hmm.